DCM works, when you're walking behind someone who is going both slow and also has that weird ability to take up somehow the entire footpath, and you just, you can't get around them, but you can't really get in front of them. Hey guys, uh, I always say that I'm going to keep these brief. I did pretty well uh, last time with the Gabe interview, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try again this time. Um, I, God, I'm, even, I'm waffling already. Um, but yeah, so this was an interview with uh, someone who uh, is working and living near where we are, uh, Tamara, and she runs a literary magazine called Spinebind. Uh, you can check it out. Uh, I've obviously linked it down below, but if you just Google Spinebind, it comes up as the first thing. Uh, we really love it. It's a, it's a great magazine. We really encourage you to read it. Um, you, can, you can access it uh, via the Spinebind website as a, as a free PDF, uh, or we, we encourage you to actually buy... Um, to, you know, to actually buy the hard copy of the magazine. We have some in the office, and they look really, really nice. Um, so I really recommend uh, that you get you get amongst it. Um, I really enjoyed this chat, and I think you will too. Um, so without further ado, yeah, let's, let's 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 get on with it, and I'll talk to you guys soon. This is Christopher Walken here to warn you that this contains some explicitly foul language, and if you don't like that, then. I'll put my foot in your throat. The soundtrack's amazing. Yeah. The visuals are very, like, well done. And, like, the <laughs> gameplay is super fun. <laughs> and, like, because those three things are there, it's, like, it's exceptionally good. Hey, I could do it in a heartbeat and make millions, but it would feel like gouging my soul out. Yeah. Jurassic Park's a little more like DDR. If Shrek is afraid to a creature, can he actually own land and want to kick them off? Hi guys, welcome back to the Art for Artists podcast, official podcast of Digital and Creative Media Works. Today I'm joined by a very special guest as part of our interview series. So guest, who are you? I'm Tamara Drazik. I'm first and foremost a writer, but I've also recently started a literary magazine called Spinebind, and I'm also a blogger over at thedrazikdiaries.com. That was I like that there were there was two also's that was good. Um, oh, no. I gave you a beat and you were like, oh, don't don't panic, don't freeze. Um, <laughs> excellent. Okay, well I wanted to touch on because we we'll obviously get to the magazine because there's some stuff I want to go through with that. Mm-hmm. But before we do, um, so you said that you sort of foremost are a writer. So um, what kind of a role? This is some one of the questions that we often ask when we get particularly writers. What kind of a role has that played in your life so far? You know, do you spend you know, hours locked in, in in your study with a bottle of scotch, you know, <laughs> ruminating over your manuscripts. Like, what, what kind of, what does that look like for you in your life? Well, I think writing is definitely an isolating thing, especially because I find it really hard to work with people around. So mm-hmm. sometimes even if my roommates are in the house, I'll yeah. feel like I have to run away to the library to work. <laughs> got to get um, some of those sick noise-canceling headphones yeah, or something. That's sure. the way to go. Also, I work best at night, so okay. that makes for an interesting 8am lecture yeah that's sometimes. some nice some nice sleep problems though. yeah no definitely it's interesting See, I'm, <laughs> I'm always curious about night owls because i'm a day person myself oh uh, yeah um well because you know you to me i'm like i hit 8 30 p.m and i'm ready i'm ready for bed like i'm, I'm, I'm tucking out um so when so let's say okay you know you sit you you go okay it's a it's a thursday night or something like, yeah you sit down and write do you have any kind of rituals that you go through every time or do you just sit down and you're like bang i'm into it i'm good I have this really bad habit of rereading everything I've written before I can continue. So okay. I know everyone says not to do that. You're yeah. just supposed to pump out the first draft and then edit yeah. later, but I can't do that. I'm oh, not one of those talented people. <laughs> <laughs> I don't so. know if it's talent or, or... Yeah, that's 
But so you, so when, but when you say that, you know, are you doing sort of long form fiction or are you doing? Yeah, usually long form. I also write short stories, but mm-hmm. at the moment I'm working on a long form piece. Excellent. So, yeah, uh, it's so just in start. It's just started, so it's not. <laughs> so you've long still got yet. the ability to reread. <laughs> exactly. As you go. I'm worried. Well, at what point do you get like anxious that you're going to be like, now I'm reading for eight hours before <laughs> I can start writing? <laughs> Probably around fifty thousand words. Yeah. Oh, that would be quite uh, crippling, actually, to have to do that for that length of... Yeah, of no, words. I think by the time I get to 20,000, I'll probably start just reading the last couple of pages I've written mm. and then going from there. But, yeah, that's usually my ritual. Sit down, read, and then kind of think in my head where I'm going to go next. Mm. But I never plan too far ahead. I usually oh, yeah, you'd let, let it, it kind go. Of, let yeah. It, yeah, I mean, you know, there's sometimes... Um, something that someone said a few, to me a few weeks ago was they sit down and they have sort of... Um, they'll write down very rigid dot points for each, for what they're going to do. So, you know, they'll sit down to write, and they'll go, okay, I've got these 12 dot points for this scene, and then they write to those 12 dot points. Oh, and I, wow. <laughs> and I looked at them like they're insane. I was like, that's, like, mm, that's, <laughs> yeah. very, that's very brave, and I could never do that. I think they call them gardeners and architects. Yeah, yeah that's something like that. a gardener. Mm. Which, yeah, which which makes us sound very hippie. Yeah. Um, it's like, what do you do? I'm a gardener. 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 Okay, so then, just switching gears for a minute, let's talk about Spinebind, because yes. that's, that's, you know, obviously why we've got you here. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I was going to, I've got, you know, I'd written down, I don't know why I did this, because in <laughs> hindsight it doesn't make any sense, but I've written down roughly what the magazine is, but I thought maybe I'll have you explain a bit about okay. the idea of, of how it started and what the magazine is about. So basically, it started, the idea I've been forming for a couple of years, I'd always wanted to start my own magazine, and then... I decided I wanted to be a writer professionally when I was in grade 11. So that's when the magazine idea, the literary magazine idea, started forming. But I never really knew if I could do it, or it was always (laughs) a long-term goal. It wasn't something I expected to do during uni because I had that thing lots of people have that I felt like kind of a fraud and I don't have this much editing experience or anything. Um, But after I got one of my poems published in a literary magazine and I saw how um, their magazine was running it's Grouch Publishing um, and I thought I could do something like that um, <laughs> I, could, I could do that <laughs> yeah. yeah and I thought why not start now when I still have this whole community in my writing cohort at uni and I could just help everyone kind of get their stuff out there and get something down on their CVs because we're, most of us are graduating this year and it's so hard to get CV um, stuff, basically. Yeah, I, I know what <laughs> so. you mean. Yeah, it's it's interesting because you know a lot of art students. It's like, oh, well, what would you even put on a resume as an art student? It's yeah. like, oh, well, I spent four years studying how to write, and I've been on Centrelink the whole time. And you're like, exactly. well, you can't really get a job from that. So <laughs> exactly, and also a lot of, a lot of the bigger magazines they want to see where you've been published previously, mm. or if anyone has even looked at your work previously. And I yeah. thought it would just be a good idea to get some people's stuff out there but yeah, I the foot in the door yeah, yeah. exactly but I really thought it would just be contained with the university cohort mm. but people started submitting from <laughs> <laughs> very far away yeah so you're like what are these people doing like, Why okay, how did they find me but yeah. yeah so then I started um marketing it on places like Gumtree and Craigslist and then yeah I ended up getting enough submissions yeah I mean, that's, to, I mean, to, like, I, I just think that's such, that's so awesome that it kind of demonstrates to me that if you have the right personality and you have the right attitude toward a project, you can do stuff that people, you know, I mean, if you'd said, if you, if, if we'd gone to 16-year-old you and been like, hey, look, 
Ed, look, here's what it is. In three years, you're going to you're gonna you're gonna you're gonna have a literary magazine published, and it's gonna be edited by you, and you're going to do it all yourself. You would have just yeah. looked. At, you would have been like, "What are you talking about? You've, you're an idiot. Yeah. I, it's, leave me alone. You clearly don't know. You don't know me at all. <laughs> That's not possible. But you know, definitely, I would have laughed. Yeah, it's it's. I, I mean, I yeah, we 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 were so impressed. Like it's, it's so polished. I, I know that that sounds like an Thank odd thing you. to say, but a lot of we're saying this today. It's actually a lot more polished than some of the literary magazines <laughs> we've been reading for years. Oh, really? Um, yeah, I just think Dang. visually it's a lot more polished. It definitely has more of a style than a lot of other stuff out there. Mm-hmm. But something that you said that I kind of wanted to touch on, um, the the sort of the idea of getting the um, of producing an, an avenue for these artists, and you know, you were thinking about sort of the people around you because you're like, yeah. yeah, that's really hard for them to get a job. Yeah, that is almost not verbatim, but it's very similar to what we do, like our mission yeah, statement. Yeah, you know, it's all about kind of helping draw in these creative people and helping them get them on the map. Mm-hmm. So, what was kind of you, you know, when you first started to have this idea in a in a in a literal sense, so you went from the conceptual of oh, I could do a magazine one day, yeah. yeah, and one day you suddenly you you you'd got you'd done a logo and you had gone okay, I'm going to set up a website, I'm going to mm-hmm. do, and you kind of, I know it's quite organic when it happens at the time, but what was the kind of, you know, what was the initial focus? Was it always that, or were you just kind of winging it and that sort of evolved from the project? Um, well, I was in Cairns for the summer and I had three months of pretty much doing nothing. And I thought this Nothing is enough to drive anyone mad. <laughs> I thought this is a great time to just start planning mm. this project that I had been focusing on. By that time, I was I'd been thinking about it seriously for a couple of months, um, but I thought it's a great time to start because I had three months of absolutely nothing, nothing to do, yeah. living up north, sitting not a lot of hands. friends. Yeah, <laughs> you're like I'm just sitting around doing nothing. Exactly. Yeah. So I just started planning, and um, I finished all the planning and logo design in about a day and I thought <laughs> wow okay well like that didn't take me as long as I thought it kind of been that easy and I just did a draft up and then the website took me a couple of weeks to yeah. just get everything right get the color schemes and then yeah. like draw the logo because I don't usually think of myself as a very visually artistic person I mm. never did well in art and that yeah. sort of thing I was always focused on writing so that's actually something I was worried about, making the website visually appealing and the page layout and the covers oh, and all yeah. that sort of thing. Oh, it was yeah. all very daunting. Oh, but it still scares me. Yeah. I've been doing this for four years and I'm like, no, no, someone else <laughs> can do the website. Yeah, I'm scared exactly. of it. Yeah. So then I just started working on it every day for a little bit, a couple of weeks. And then by the time I'd finished the website, I thought, well, I want to launch it mm. now. Yeah, I didn't no, want to wait why around. Why would we bother yeah. waiting for some, you know, pretend, oh, I'm ready moment? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, so, th- and then you just, you went and started yeah, getting, just, you know, putting those feelers out there for submission. Yeah, and I posted it in the creative writing group that we have from uni, and I just said, hey, I've started this thing. Yeah. <laughs> Do you want to have a look at it? And then from there, I just started sharing it with different people. Yeah, yeah, and you just, you. I mean, it's a thing if you're like, hey, Here's a friend, and they'll tell a friend about it. Yeah, exactly. So when was before you launched it? Had you sort of gone to other people that you knew and were like, "Hey, I'm doing this thing," um, and you know, was was that something that you did, or did you kind of keep it very close to you initially? Um, I've put it on my blog, so I've kind of I have a writing blog, and it kind of shows behind the scenes of what I was doing and how I was doing it and what my plan was, and that was all before. I'd like started the website. I okay. wrote a couple of blog posts about it, 
and a couple of my friends read my blog, so they saw it okay. through there. So they but were able to. I never actually went to my friends and said, "Hey, I'm doing this." Yeah, you didn't elicit feedback. From yeah, them. no, I didn't. I think I was just a little too. I don't know. I was scared at first to see people's reactions. To <laughs> yeah. be honest, I was worried that they wouldn't get my idea behind it, or they would think that I thought I was somehow higher than it's, them. It's quite. Yeah, I know. I understand that. <laughs> yeah, stress. yeah. So I was a bit worried that people wouldn't get it so I just kept it on the down low until <laughs> kept it real sneaky and then you're yeah. like bam it's here exactly which is almost I don't know I just think that's quite exciting when you can launch a project that's actually finished and you're like yeah here's this thing that I've been working on everyone's like oh my god that's so cool yeah so everyone had really positive reactions to mm. it so I was so happy Oof. But then there was the fear of not getting any submissions oh, and God. having launched this thing and then not yeah. being able to release the first issue in time because there wouldn't be any people. But luckily that didn't happen. <laughs> Save, but you're like, I'm going to submit 10 of my own. Yeah, Come up with 10 exactly. aliases, you know. So, <laughs> pen names. <laughs> yeah, you're like, I'm going to find 10 pen names. <laughs> um, so with, with that initial... So I'm kind of curious because, um, you know, with that initial wave of... Of, of submissions and stuff, did you have an idea of how you were going to process them before you started? Um, what was mm. that kind of like? <laughs> well, as I said before, I'm not much of a planner, mm. so I just thought, it's probably not going to get very big. I'll be fine just reading them over my Christmas I, holidays. <laughs> it'll you be know, fine. It'll, it'll do, be we'll fine. Do it day. No worries. Exactly. So mm. I ended up having to stay up quite late into the night reading, but I did a first reading of all of them. Mm-hmm. Um, in the beginning, I was reading them as they were coming in because I was so excited. But <laughs> yeah, <laughs> then yeah. I thought I should probably wait so that I can just look at them all once yeah. the um, date is once the due date is over. Um, so then I think it was March the twentieth, and then I just started reading all of them again and then reading all of them again. You're like, no sleep for me. <laughs> yeah, yeah, excellent. <laughs> just rereading every time I had a free moment, I just reread, and then I set aside three days to kind of decide on the pieces that would make it in mm. and that was the hardest part yeah, of the whole it, thing it, it would be i mean um to, to me that would be because I, I mean what we you know part of what we do is we we elicit ideas for people for radio plays and stuff mm-hmm. so but for us it's that's not my job to decide who gets in and who doesn't so yeah. i don't have that stress someone just comes to me and they go here's a great idea from from someone who had an awesome idea yeah um that's Aaron's job. I don't have anything to do with that. But <laughs> I'm, I was trying to imagine last night this the the, the stress of being like I've got to got to pick these stories that somehow have to represent me. Like going yeah. in this magazine, I've got to make sure that they're actually good. What if yeah. they, what if I've picked one that I love and it's really bad and that looks really bad at me? Or what mm-hmm. if it's like the best short story of all time and it should be published in like the biggest journal exactly. in the world? Exactly. That's also oh. pressure because I God. <laughs> I can't imagine. Yeah. <laughs> but I wouldn't know like. If I came across a story like that, should I contact the author and say, don't send this to me? Go somewhere bigger. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. New Yorker. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Go aim for the top. Yeah. Yeah. So the the first inclusion in the issue um, is interviewed a strip club by Nicola Nixon. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, we we had a conversation about this um, last night because I was reading it with with some of the writers from um, from DC Amworks. And Mm -hmm. uh, one of the things that we all kind of decided is that... um, that as a story, it, it actually makes you feel... It's about anxiety for anyone. Yes. Um, and it makes you feel anxious just through the prose itself, mm-hmm, um, which definitely. we were, you know, quite impressive stylistically. Um, but for this particular story, it's quite... Brave is the wrong word, but it's it's a very sort of... Um, 
it's it's a it's not a statement, but you're kind of you know you, you're putting your foot down strongly about what this this magazine is going to be about by having that yeah. be your first piece. So, would you be able to talk us through sort of a little bit about the process of of your thoughts behind that story and you know, because because to me that speaks volumes about that you've really thought through yeah. this story and you've gone okay this is going to be the first one. But so for you, what was that kind of like when you when you went through that process? I wanted the first story to show that. Spinevine didn't want to hold anything back mm. and that it wasn't scared of any touchy subjects. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Say. So, yeah, I don't know. The first story, I've read a lot of Nicola's previous personal essays mm. and a lot of them are about anxiety and I thought this one is definitely my favourite because you can really feel the anxiety in the writing mm. and also just the repetition of like the throwing up and that sort of thing. Yeah. I thought that would take people off guard. Yeah, I, I know what you mean. It's a little bit... Yeah, um, you don't, unsettling. You don't expect it to be as casual as it is. Yeah, I wanted it to be unexpected, the first mm. story. And then I wanted people to <laughs> see what else there was in yeah, there. Yeah, I think it, it definitely does. Yeah, it really... I mean, it, it really does... It, it hooks you in. Like It's, it's very sort of um, intriguing as a first piece to go in the magazine. And I think something that, you know, we talk about a lot is the fact that a story like that is... Rep- it, like it's, it's representation of anxiety in prose and it conveys the sense of what like suffering from anxiety is like yeah and that is a really hard thing to do and it's yeah, sort of you know we were, we were just like wow that's that's really impressive but to recognize that we were like shit what if like one of the things that we talked we we're like what if what if we missed that like what if you got yeah. a submission and that was when i started to go oh my god that would be so stressful yeah but you've clearly sort of you know with that one in particular you've seen it and you've kind of gone okay i've got this Mm-hmm. You've, you've definitely recognised Yeah, I recognised what was in there, definitely, mm. and I thought this is a good story to start with. Yes. It's one of the ones that, I think it was one of the last submissions that came to me, I think it was the day before oh, wow. um, yeah. closing, so I read it and I was like, okay, this one has to be first. <laughs> <laughs> it's got to go in there. I yeah. like it. Now I have to ask a dumb question, because I, so I know nothing about photography. That's my preface, okay. at like, at, like at all. Um which, which is the opposite of my day job. I work with photos every day, but I have no idea how photos... I don't know what a good mm-hmm. photo looks like. I kind of... I'm like, oh, that's pretty. Um, yeah. So speaking as, as the simpleton that I am when photographs are involved, um, what, when you decided to sort of include photos in, in, in the magazine, um, what was the kind of... You know, what's, what is the process of analyzing those and deciding on... Guess what? What makes a good photo is, I guess, what I'm asking. Yeah. See, I'm not much of a photographer myself. My sister is a photographer, and mm. you might have seen there are a couple of photos by my sister in there. Mm. So I, I think most of the photos in there are by my sister. There's also Lookout by Jamie Lee Willett. Mm. Um, and basically, I help, my sister helped me out with that sort of thing because she's definitely the visual. <laughs> one yeah. out of the two of us, but yeah, basically, I looked for the photos that kind of helped along with the stories that I chose. Mm. If that makes sense. Like the Yeah, art, I know what you mean. They support them. Yeah, they, they support them. the material, but they're also pieces of art. I like with Lookout how it's got such a focal point and it's the binoculars. Yeah, it, you just go, like, immediately yeah, exactly. straight to that. Also, yeah. the colour schemes are something I looked at as well. Of the photos themselves? The photos themselves, but obviously that wasn't the deciding factor yeah. of whether it would go in there, but... Yeah, I didn't get that many art um, submissions. Most of them mm. were writing. Mm-hmm. So I was able to put in 
most of the ones that I received. Oh, that's cool, so that was really yeah. good because that's I don't. Really satisfying. Yeah, yeah, because I think for the next issue, if I get more art submissions, I'll have to get my sister in or my um, a good friend of mine. She's a talented artist as well, mm. so I'll have Found to get friend. someone else in to <laughs> yeah. kind of help me decide because I don't feel like I have the. Um, you don't have the piece of paper for that one. Yeah, thing. exactly. Yeah, you know, eventually, <laughs> give it like four or five more issues, you'll start to get a better feel for it. Exactly. You don't have that, that piece of paper. Yeah. Um, okay, so I guess I wanted to come back to, to what you talked about at the start, because I think there's something interesting in this idea of, as writers, you know, we tend to be these isolated creatures. Yeah. And then we go and do stuff like we start a production company based on podcasting exactly. and video content, or we do a magazine where we've got to troll through, you know, hundreds of other people's mm-hmm. work, and then expect and elicit feedback from that and then keep doing that for some reason instead of stopping after one you know yeah <laughs> it's quite an odd it almost feels like it goes against that this this weird um uh, this this weird sort of myth that writers have of themselves yeah where, you know we uh, we think we're so brooding and we're like oh we've got to i can't you know we can't work around other people we've got to we've got to we've got to you know sit in a room by ourselves and work but ev- no other artist does that you know yeah you, uh it's you go collaborative you, yeah you go or even if you know even if it's not collaborative, sometimes you just like to do art around other people. If you're yeah, a, if you're a visual artist, true. you might just sit with some of your visual artist buddies, and you might all just be doing your own thing. But you're in the same room. Yeah. But you would never, you know, I would never phone up um, my, uh, the the writers that work for us and be like, "All right, guys, um, my place beers Friday night. Bring the laptops. We're gonna we're gonna bust we'll out write some writing together." <laughs> like, oh my god, could you imagine? I that would be mortifying. Oh my god, it's such a weird thought. Yeah. Well, writers are kind of walking contradictions. Yeah. Like, especially once we have a book published, I think a lot of the writer's job after that is to promote it and go out and talk Mm. to people and do writer's talks and author's signings Mm. and just pretend we're into that. (laughs) Yeah, pretend that we're functioning in society as people instead of just these, like, lumps of prose that (laughs) sometimes put that down. I mean, one of the things that I wanted to ask you about, particularly because you sort of touched on that at the start, is when... So you're working on this, this long... Mm-hmm. Let's say, let's say it's you know a year's time and you've finished it and you've gone through some editing and you've got it's 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 an acceptable draft for submission for somewhere. Yeah. But you've now got experience in going through the process of getting something printed and made and, and done like that and some distribution. So one of the things that that we do is that we now just publish our own stuff. Mm-hmm. Self publishing. Yeah. Um, well, te- technically, only because I own the company. Oh but yeah. We, yeah. So, oh, so okay. we are, yeah, we're a publisher. But one of the things that I'm always interested in. As someone that has gone through this process of publishing a magazine, do you now view self-publishing differently than you did? Because a lot of artists and writers are like, I would never self-publish. There's a lot of stigma around self-publishing, but Mm. I don't know. I don't really agree with it. I think as long as you get an editor, I think a mistake that lots of self-publishers make is that they don't um, commission an editor to read the work. And then Mm. obviously a writer can't (laughs) just publish their own work because we're so into it we're so committed so to close. this yeah we're so close to this project so i think having an editor is so important to just look at it with fresh eyes obviously yeah um so i think a lot of the work out there that is self-published they've just gone and done it without an editor yeah. and i think that can give a bad name to self-publishing as a whole if someone buys this book and it is just uh, filled riddle, with plot holes with and that sort of thing like, yeah Ugh. Uh, exactly. And the worst is when it it could have been good. That's the whole. Yeah, exactly. You read, you read a novel and you go, "Oh my god, this could have been amazing." And mm-hmm. It's just not. That's, I mean, that's always so heartbreaking. 
Yeah, that's really sad. But I've never really had this idea against self-publishing that Mm. it's not real books and all that sort Mm. of thing. I don't know. So my idea hasn't really changed. I still stand with, I think, a book that's self-published can still be really a good artistic piece Mm. of literature. It comes down to the (laughs) book. Yeah, exactly. Or if it's entertaining, then that's the book's purpose and Mm. that sort of thing. So I don't know. But going through the self-publishing, it's kind of... I don't know. It hasn't changed my idea, but it's shown me what goes into it and the typesetting and all that sort of thing. Oh my god! So that, that oh, you mean the nightmarish stuff that no one else hears about? Exactly. Yes. God, it's awful. <laughs> it's awful. I, my worst, my least favorite part of, of, of publishing anything is the few weeks before you set everything. When you go, okay, we've set, we've set the type, everything is set. Those few weeks before that, when you spend every waking minute being like, but what if we miss the typo? Mm-hmm. Miss the typo. Yeah. You've well, read. You're like, I'm losing my mind. I've read this like eighteen hundred. That's something I had to deal with. Mm-hmm. After it came out, I found a couple of little typos in it, and it was heartbreaking. It's but rough, man. I just tell myself, okay, next time it's going to be better. Because yeah. I have this problem. I'm not good at editing on screen. Yeah, all you need to be... I need to have it printed out, but yeah. I want it to be um, environmentally friendly. Yeah, you're <laughs> like, I don't want to kill too many trees. Exactly. Yeah. So I think next time I just have to give myself even more time and read it a couple more times and yeah. maybe also send it to a couple of people to read as well because I'm obviously I'm obviously still looking at it through the lens of should this go in should this not yeah so I think another pair of eyes would be good for that so Someone that's sort of reading it just for the editing just for the editing yeah definitely it's definitely a good idea yeah I mean one of the things that we do um, that has really helped is because I I have a problem which is that <laughs> I can't spell Oh yeah, <laughs> but it's not that I can't spell. It's that I I I make weird spelling errors that don't make any sense. Oh, okay. And I don't know why, and no one I know has been able to tell me why it happens. But it will be stuff like I can spell like discombobulate and like all these. Like, I, can, I can do a whole bunch of real tough ones. Yeah. But the minute it's like, oh, um, I'll write receive three times in a row, and I'll spell it differently each time. <laughs> and, not, and I'm like, what? What? Why? Like, why, brain? What are you doing, brain? So that for me is yeah. really, t- really tough when I'm editing stuff because I won't see typos because mm-hmm. my brain, I don't, I don't know, I'm just not programmed to spell yeah. apparently. Um, yeah. People are like, That's, it's Microsoft Word's ruin you. I was like, no, nah, this was a problem before. <laughs> before I got Microsoft a com- Yeah, before Word. I had a computer, you know. Um, it's always before, been there. It's always been, this isn't a new thing for me. This has been like since I was in like 10 or something. Like, this, yeah. is, this has been a long time problem. Mm-hmm. Um, but so I wanted to talk about when you started writing. So... Every author has... I always find every every author and every artist who does anything always mm-hmm. has an interesting kind of inception story that they think is really boring. <laughs> I, I don't think I've met anyone who doesn't think their story is, is, is interesting. So, yeah. Yeah, when did you kind of start? What age? And sort of talk us through when you first realized that this might have been, been a thing that you could do. Well, this is such a cliched answer, but I can't <laughs> remember a time when I wasn't writing stories. Mm. I think ever since I I was able to write... Oh, this is so cliche. No, I've it's been fine. writing it's fine. stories. I'll edit, I'll edit it around it. You'll sound really smart. Awesome. Absolutely. You'll be like, oh, it was when I was when I was a child. Uh, I was a genius, and I just was writing novels. I don't know what to tell you. Amazing. I wrote my first kind of... It was an almost full draft. It was 70,000 words when I was yeah. 13, and it was called The Centrum, and it had every single cliche you got to start possible yeah. inside it. So I pretty much trashed it. Yep. I, I've kept the file, but I don't like to read it. 
Um, but yeah. Just keep that one quietly in the corner, <laughs> exactly. you know, just ferret it away. That was probably when I was 13 and started writing that. That was when I noticed I can write a full-length yeah. novel. This is something that's possible. But before then, I wrote a story about saving water when I was, like, six and I wrote a story about <laughs> yeah. wombats, that sort of thing. Aww, I just I yeah. found a box of my old stories mm. um, when I was in Cairns, I think two years ago or something, and there were so many, and I'd forgotten that I'd written them, but it just showed me it reinforced the fact that I've always been doing this, and I yeah. always will regardless of success yeah. or not yeah, success. Yeah, like, I, I could be doing this for 50 years, I would still be writing. Exactly. Which so. is a very, it's a, it's a very weird reality. It is. Other people don't have it. Uh, engineers aren't like, well, all I'm ever going to do is engineer for the rest of my life. <laughs> yeah. They're like, if I get bored of engineering, I might go and, you know, build planes. Or, or I'll go and learn diesel mechanics. And yeah. Build different th- Like, no other profession is like, well, I guess I'm stuck with this one exactly. thing for the rest of for my life. For the rest of my life. Yeah. There are other things you can do, like start a magazine or a production company. Yeah. Oh, you're right. For example, yes. <laughs> uh, just two examples. Um, yeah. Yeah, it's... it's I mean... Yeah, I'm always interested to hear that because a lot of a lot of writers think, and I'm not sure why this is. This might be like a bias that writers have toward themselves. Where they yeah. sort of want they want to they want it's this, this is kind of paradox they have where they want to be unique, but at the same time they kind of also want to be like a stereotypical writer. Yeah, They're like yeah. I'm my own person, but I also I also <laughs> want to have a bottle of scotch at my desk. Stay up really late. Stay with up a real late and wear lots of very large coats that are sort of. Yeah. exclusively look like they Throw should be all my, my professors. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. A lot of writers do that, but at the same time, they want to be their own kind of beast, and they want to be mm-hmm. like, well, I'm not like all the other writers. Yeah. Don't, don't pigeonhole me. <laughs> That's so you know, true. Step off. I've got my own personality. Don't put me in a box. <laughs> yeah, and like, you, you know, you'll go, what do you write? And they go, Oh well, it's not really sci-fi. Like, okay, so you write sci-fi. Yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah. but that's the, always the start. They go, oh, it's not really sci-fi. It's more of like a genre prestige of it's um, different. Oh, it's, it's it's a genre prestige of like think of like Dorian Gray, but it's a sci-fi. In one case, it's sci-fi. It's sci-fi. <laughs> yeah. But that always there's always that preface. Yeah. And I was I mean, so afraid of being uh, like someone else. Yeah. I think. Which is weird because I feel like if you were writing in a genre and someone is like, oh, what do you write? And you go, oh, well, it's kind of you know, I write kind of horror similar to Stephen King. Like, dude is amazingly talented. That's an awesome thing to be able yeah. to compare yourself with. Yeah, definitely. For some reason, as writers, we go, oh, I don't know, I, I don't want to be associated with someone. It's someone. especially, you can see it in critique groups. If mm. you read someone's story and you say, oh, this reminded me of, like, oh, yeah. you just see the writer's it's face. like a trigger, just... they're like, oh. <laughs> yeah, they're like, what, why? And that's that's the last time they talk to you. They're like, yeah, no, nah, I'm exactly. done. I'm done with you, other human. Exactly. I'm sorry, what was your name? I can't remember because you're dead to me. And they're like, oh, <laughs> this, is not good. this is not how I thought this would go. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that, is, that so... does happen an awful lot, though, I think. And You know, uh, a conversation I was having with Aaron the other day, for anyone who doesn't know, um, Aaron is one of our writers here. Um, I only say that because I just realized that he's not ever been in... I talk about him periodically, but he's not in anything because all he does is write for us. But um, one of the things that he said to me last night, because w- we were talking about um, the difficulties that the industry in Australia has. Mm-hmm. It's very sort of, you know, it's a real challenge to get anything published in Australia that isn't about Australia. Yeah, that's So, you know, um, it's everything, uh, you know, because I know, I know we have a lot of listeners in America and the UK, so this is, this is not a problem that either of your countries have. But here... It's this really big problem where unless you're writing about a country, publishers don't want to hear about you. They don't yeah. want your sci-fi. They don't want your fantasy. They don't, you know, 
the only thing that they might want is your memoir, but only if it's about Australia. <laughs> yeah. So it's this kind of weird, like, um, echo chamber, but yeah. Australians don't want to read about Australia. Exactly. And I so then no one sells that. any books, and they go, oh, no, we're not selling any books, we need to do more more books about Australia. <laughs> but no one's reading books about Australia, and it's no. just this weird cycle of, like, let's do more of them and see what happens instead of maybe maybe we, we should, should think shift about the focus yeah. to, to writing, not writing about because Where Australians read a lot, but mm. they don't want to read work from yeah. Australians. They want to read... We want to read about stuff that's interesting, not Australia. Yeah, Because exactly. we live in Australia. It'd be like... Exactly. I, it's so weird. It'd be like if someone came to you with a painting, and they're like, I've painted my street. And you're like, that's cool. <laughs> um, great. But, but so what? And they're like, oh, well, okay, fair point. Yeah. But if someone came to you with like a roadmap, like a Google Maps document, and they were like, here's my street on Google Maps. You're like... What? Yeah. What? <laughs> Why? Why? Whereas, like, at least a book from Australia that's not about Australia, it's a painting of your street. And they're like, oh, that's a cool way to look at the world. Yeah. From your street. So I think, you know, that's one of the reasons that we do what we do. And I imagine it's probably one of the reasons that you started what you're doing mm-hmm. is because there's no space for particularly genre fiction anymore. Yeah. Um, which, for those those un- undoctrinated into the, into the brotherhood, um, that is fiction that is sort of not about literary stuff. So yeah. that's like your sci-fis, your fantasies. It's your, more plot-driven. Yeah, your crime. It's your detective novels, your, um, you know, your, your Lord of the Rings, that kind of thing. Um, and that, there's just no real kind of room for that anymore in Australia. Or if yeah. there is, it's very small, um, it's very small distributors doing their very best to get these out, these things out there. Mm-hmm. Or it's people from Australia having to go overseas with their works to get them actually published. Yeah, so and you'll then see... maybe they'll be picked up by an Australian publisher after yeah. that, and they want to. It's always distribute. after the fact. You <laughs> yeah, know? it's always like, oh, well, you were amazingly successful in the UK. Let's have you here. Yeah, well. you know, it's like this half a... Australian. And they're like, oh my god, they're Australian. Let's put their face everywhere. Yeah, exactly. But only if they've been successful elsewhere. Elsewhere, which I think you know that's a problem that you know how do we fix that is always a question people yeah. ask me, and I just kind of throw my hands up. I'm like, I don't know. I think it's a societal issue because Australians have such a self-deprecating. The cultural kind of cringe. culture, yeah. yeah. So they just want to—I don't know—they find it hard to, in general, obviously, mm. take other Australians seriously. They think if they're not successful elsewhere, that it's not worth it. I think I feel that kind of vibe coming through, and I don't yeah. know where it's coming from and why yeah. we're like that. I think it comes a little bit back to that sort of tall poppy syndrome yeah. thing, where it's like. Um, and it, pretty much anyone in Australia who's successful, everyone is always like trying to cut them down a peg. Yeah, um, definitely. You know that you can't just be successful. You have to be successful and like have some problem with you that everyone knows about and that yeah. makes you less successful than you are. Yeah, you've written this masterpiece, but you know it's not. It's not as good as. It's not that great. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Um, and you know, you'll. It's really hard to tell people about things you do and be very proud of being creative when mm-hmm. the minute you have success. People are just like, oh, well, you're not that funny. You know? Yeah. It's not that well written. Yeah. And we, you know, we don't get it from other people. We just get it from Australia. Like, that yeah. doesn't, you know, there's no feedback from anyone in England going, oh, you guys aren't that good. Yeah. You know, there's always people that dislike what we do, but there's, n- it's not that it's same time. It's just brought onto ourselves. So I don't know how, how we address that in the industry, but I think the best way to start is by recognizing that there is talent here that lies outside of being about. Australia. Australia, yeah. But rather writing for Australia about other stuff. Mm-hmm. So it's like, okay, well, what you know, what unique lens can we bring? Because we've lived in, you know, it's the same thing about Brisbane, where where we live. Um, it's effectively just a big old country town. Yeah. That is that happens to be a city. 
So we have a very different attitude to to a lot of the other cities in Australia and and Mm -hmm. indeed the world in general, um, except for some similar places in America. So things like, um, you know, Maine, that kind of area. Very similar vibe, you know, big, big country town that is also a city. That's a really unique perspective to be able to bring to the world. Mm-hmm. But no one cares about Brisbane, so <laughs> yeah. don't write. You know, it's like it's like we can't write about Brisbane. About you have Brisbane. to write kind of like about somewhere that's like Brisbane that isn't Brisbane. <laughs> you know, you've got to have be like, oh yeah, it's my fantasy, my fantasy town that is exactly like Brisbane, but it's not called. It's Brisbane. not called yeah. Brisbane. So yeah, it's something different. else. You know, it's it's some fancy name. Yeah. Um, but even that, like, you wouldn't get it published because it's a genre piece in Australia. Yeah. That's it's so like, funny. how do we fix... I mean, <laughs> to you, Tamara, how do we fix it? You must decide. Oh, no. Yours, this, this is your opportunity. This is it. If you don't get it now, then that's you're out of the industry. Um, Putting me on the spot a little that's bit. That's right, yeah. Well, this is like, you're in the door or you're out of the industry forever. You know, like, that's... No, no one ever speaks to you again and they're like, oh, Tamara, I don't know that name. And then they just do that thing when they blank you on oh, the street. Oh, no. Well, they, they, they cross the road to, to sort of, of avoid industry. it. Yeah, you, you're out. You've got to pick a different profession. Oh, no. No, like, is, you know, for, from the stuff that you've been working through and, and the, the, the pieces that you've seen, is there a way that, as an industry, we can kind of foster some more of that pride in what we do without it being sort of... I mean, I know we can't turn around and be like, guys, <laughs> we need to be more proud of Australia. Stop putting us down. You know, like, we're doing our best. I think it starts with the... Australian writers like we need to stop pulling ourselves down and each other I think if we had more of a community feeling if that mm. makes sense I know I what know. you mean You're like, I obviously I don't, sound don't know too how to fix this issue <laughs> but yeah. I feel like if we stopped tearing each other and ourselves down then mm. people would take us more seriously yeah 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 because you know. don't you know you, you don't see um you don't see Neil Gaiman and, and Patrick Rothfuss being like, oh, they're so shit. I hate that guy. He's exactly. successful. Whereas in Australia, that happens all the time. All even the time. With like, even just not even artists, but just like people who are in the public, yeah. um, tear into each other for no reason on their social media and all the different these different avenues. Mm-hmm. But these people that are like, these are colleagues. Like these are peers. You know, yeah, you don't see so uh, you don't you don't tune, tune in the radio every evening and hear Hamish and Andy like slagging off other comedians. <laughs> Because that would be bizarre. Yeah, that would but be. But for some reason, as writers, we're just totally fine with the fact that we go, oh, um, you know, someone will be like, oh, what do you think of XYZ book? And you're like, nah, he's crap. I don't like him. <laughs> it's like there's only room for one successful Australian writer, so mm. everyone's fighting for it. And we've got to keep chopping everyone down yeah, to exactly. stop them from getting it, because that's my spot. Getting it. You know? It's my throne. Yeah, it's, it's strange. We've got it's a like weird... politicians, almost. <laughs> yeah, it really is. It's, it's our own, like, little Game of Thrones. But, yeah. But about books, I guess. In my head, the throne was made entirely of, like, slightly burned books. <laughs> it's quite a good image. That's great so image. Draw that. Um, but, yeah, like, I, I guess, you know, what you're doing is a start. Like, that's the thing. Is it's like, if more people did the kinds of things that you're doing, then what we would start to see isn't... Not everyone is going to hold hands in Kumbaya yeah, or anything. Exactly. But we can't expect that. <laughs> we can't expect it. It just won't happen, you know. Um, but, but I think that... And I don't know if this is just... This is my arrogant speaking or not, but I think that's a good place to start, because then what starts to happen is that people, and particularly, you know, writers and, and other artists, mm-hmm. even if it's not just writers, but you start to kind of build a sense of that you have somewhere that you belong, that you're not ashamed to belong in, as yeah, a, like, exactly. in, your, in your creative pigeonhole. So, you know, <laughs> we get we get pigeonholed a lot with some of the stuff we do, so it's like, okay, that that is their bit that is their, uh, that's their podcast stuff, yeah. their iTunes, that's their YouTube stuff. 
That means they are YouTubers when they are doing that. That's their writing stuff. So that means they're writers when they're doing that. Um, <coughs> they'll kind of just chuck us into these little holes as we go. Yeah. But what could be great is if we can build the support around those pigeonholes so that when someone goes, oh, you're an Australian you know, writer or an Australian YouTuber or an Australian painter, you don't go, no, I'm just a painter. You go, fuck yeah, I'm an Australian painter. Yeah. Like, <laughs> goddamn right, I'm surrounded. Look at look at the company I'm in. How good are these people? Exactly. Where this is really this is a really great place to be in. This is the best party, and y'all are missing out because you're not so in true. it. Think about yeah. like the the great American novel. Like that's such a an amazing term. Can you imagine if we had a great Australian <sighs> novel? God, what would that? They would just probably have Hugh Jackman's face on it. Yeah. <laughs> Even if it's not about him, I just imagine it would have to. <laughs> Hugh Jackman's autobiography. Yeah, but why? The thing is, why don't we? Because we we should. There are a lot of talented writers that are out there doing amazing work in this country. Yeah. But for some reason, we have no standard to hold ourselves to because we just sort of... We go, nah, not interested. I'm going to yeah. go publish it Harper Voyager in America <laughs> yeah. or whatever it is. We're um, too ashamed to call something Australian great, like yeah. writing. As if that would somehow... Well, I think it's what you said. It's as if that would somehow detract from my ability to be also a great Australian Exactly. Writer, which is... Really Strange. weird. Strange. <laughs> like, I don't know. That's I don't know so where weird. where that culture came from. It's like if you went to McDonald's and someone ordered a burger and you're like, nah, you can't because I want one. Yeah, like, that's my burger. They're like, dude, they're, you know, they make they make more of them, right? And you're like, nah, I want, I want that one. I want that one. And that's every writer in Australia is like, I want that burger. I want that one, man. <laughs> yeah. And there's just this weird fight so that goes true. on. It's strange. And yeah, eventually was... no one gets the burger. <laughs> Sad time. Yeah, it's a sad time. <laughs> I was researching a little about the market of literary magazines and that sort of thing, but I soon realized that it was bleak and I should just do it without researching. Um, but yeah, when I was researching, they said there are too many um, literary magazines in Australia. Too and many. I thought, well, if there are still really talented writers getting rejected mm. and talented, like, great pieces getting rejected, then there aren't too many. Yeah, I also, just I couldn't like understand eight. why. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I couldn't understand why so many articles were saying, you know, it's flooded. There are too many mm. of these magazines, and it's, there's no point. Just start a blog instead. God, start a blog. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's real. That's you're like, no, oh, that's rough. Exactly. So I thought I'm just gonna do it anyway. Yeah, because things aren't that dire here. Things are for anyone wondering. Things in Australia are kind of fine. Like yeah, we're doing, we're doing, we're doing okay. Well. It's not like we're sitting here and they're like. There's too many literary magazines. We can't go outside. <laughs> They're just everywhere. I can't buy newspapers. It's only literary magazines. Yeah. Like, fuck. How, how that? There cannot be too many. Because, no. I mean, I'm <laughs> just... The fact that someone would say that. Even if you... Like, okay, let's pretend that you are not an artist. You're just a dude who... You're in construction. You ain't know nothing about art. You mm-hmm. watch, you know, House Rules or whatever every evening. And you're amazing at your job as a builder. You don't know what a literary magazine is. You couldn't name one in Australia. That means there isn't too many. Exactly. But you know who J.K. Rowling is, and you know who... So clearly, there aren't enough in Australia, because people don't know what they are. Yeah, I The fact, you know, uh, there was a question thrown out um, uh, to to some university students the other day um, to name a handful of of, of Australian literary magazines, and people knew, like, three. And they were like, okay, and then the, the question was broadened to okay, then Australian publishers. And then you, like, again, maybe three. Yeah, we had this was, question as well. It was bizarre, well. yeah. So that, to me, speaks volumes about this idea of sort of... Clearly, even if... I mean, you know, let's pretend that there are too many. But even if there are too many, no, like, there's no... It's not part of our zeitgeist. It's not part of the conversation. We're not saying, mm-hmm. oh, did you read the latest issue of uh, whatever it is, like, the engine or whatever. Yeah. Because if... 
you know, could you imagine if people had that conversation? You'd be like, what, what just world a are we in? normal dinner conversation. Yeah, you just bring it up. But it's funny when you go to, you know, when you spend time with artists who are studying art, I think particularly, they're the ones that you would expect to have access to that information. Yeah. But they, they don't they, they don't have that dialogue available because they haven't looked into it or they just yeah. haven't thought to. Whereas you go to other people in the public who have studied art and they now do it for a living, and they're like, yeah, of course I read you know, all of the literary magazines I can. Yeah. It's the industry I'm in. We don't seem. To, I think part of the problem is we don't teach people to be involved with the industry because they, you know, when you're studying it, you don't seem to think that you're part of the industry yet. Yeah, we're just like you know, you're strange. Yeah, limbo. <laughs> you've got your training wheels on your bike. You yeah, know, you're not part of the race yet, but you're actually still cycling next to everyone else. They're just yeah. a little further ahead. Yeah, exactly. And so we kind of need to. I think here we go. This is. I'm going to fix it right now, right here. Right. <laughs> okay. What we need to do is we need to take off the training wheels from 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 when we're teaching it. Mm-hmm. So we need to kind of start at the bottom. It's, it's all about the kind of the starting at the base of the problem, which is that we're not really talking to our writers about the way that they can shape the industry. Yeah. That's what so we're true. saying is, you know, what we're saying, instead of, here's how you can shape the industry to, to, to get what you need as a, as a generation of creative people. What we're saying is, here's how you get published by people that are already in the industry. Yeah, here's how you fit into the industry, yes. not how you shape the yeah. industry. Here's how you slot into a nice little rung, you know, that four of you out of a cohort of, you know, a thousand are going to be able to do. Here's how yeah. those four of you can do it. Everyone else is screwed. You're yeah. going to become a barista <laughs> or something, or whatever it is, you know. <laughs> they but, never fail to tell us that yeah. only few of us will make it. Yeah, because if they did, could you imagine, like, people would lose their minds. Because, you know, I there's, there's something very enchanting about when you meet people that have just started studying writing, and they have mm-hmm. this sort of they have this joy about the potential of what they could do. And you're yeah. like, that is so great to see that you're so excited. Mm-hmm. But then you think to yourself, give it a few years and they're going to be like this hollow husk of a human. It's going to be like, I'm never going to get published. <laughs> yeah. I haven't written anything in six months because what's the point? <laughs> and they're this sad kind of... It can be really depressing when you mm. get so many rejection letters oh in God. a row, but... You get used to it. I yeah, guess. you get used to it. That's probably majority of what I blog about is just rejection. rejection My favourite is when a rejection letter is written really well, and you're like, I appreciate that it's written. This was a nice rejection yeah, letter. Yeah, you're like, this is nice. This was a nice way to have my heart Actually, broken. my last blog post was called The Good Kind of Rejection Letter. That's so. amazing. What is a, what's a good kind of rejection letter, then? It's the kind of rejection letter that says you were close, but you didn't make it. You, they, you, they, they were like, you were this close. It's both extremely painful, but mm. also slightly reassuring. So basically, what you're saying is you want to get left at the altar. You don't want to break yeah. up a week before the wedding. Exactly, because because <laughs> then you've got the joy right up to the second before he doesn't turn up. Exactly, right? you can be excited. Mm. Yeah, you can have your heart broken, but like you've still got a little bit of happiness before, you know. Yeah, and you yeah. know that if he left you at the altar, maybe someone else will want you. Yeah. because he hasn't been miserable for the whole engagement. That's true. <laughs> and also, you've already got the wedding set up, so maybe someone will walk in and you can just get married on the spot. Ex- oh, that's a good analogy. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. yeah. There we go. Great. There we go. That's, we've, just, we've just married you off. That was quick. It um, took 40 minutes, but we got there. But yeah, I mean, <laughs> it's interesting you say that, because I get... One of the things that we do is we send rejection letters, but um, mm-hmm. I, I don't... I no longer write them, because I get... I'm too nice. Like, I... Because I feel real bad. I'm like, I feel so bad. I'm like, I'm like look, I'm like, this is really good. It just doesn't suit... A lot of the times, just because it doesn't suit what we do. Yeah, exactly. So I'm like, look, I really... like. I'm like, I really enjoy this memoir, but we can't do an audiobook of it because um, we don't we don't, we don't, don't cater to this style. Yeah. Do, you know, we don't really do memoir. We do genre fiction. Um, and I'll say, consider submitting it to these publishers because I think it would really suit them or whatever. 
Jesus. I'll do. Mm-hmm. I, we go to that effort if if, if we yeah. have the ability to. Some yeah. of them you're like, mm, maybe you know go back, take a few steps back, reconsider. These yeah, things. yeah. Part of that that I love is when you get a manuscript that's so good and you're like, mm, I wish we, I wish we could. Yeah. And so you write this like letter where you're like, I'm so sorry that we can't. Like I, this like is three amazing. pages long. Yeah, and then you read it and you're like, I sound like an idiot. <laughs> Like, this person is going to get this and be like, this condescending prick has written me three pages of drivel. Oh to make, and you're like, what if he hate? What if they hate the rejection? <laughs> what if they get mad at us? Sending rejection letters mm. it was something new to me and it was just heartbreaking. What was the, what was, what was the first, what was the first rejection letter you sent? Do you remember? Uh, it, it was way too long. Yeah. And I had to cut it. Like, oh. I don't remember who I sent it to, but. Yeah, I don't. I don't remember which piece it was. Mm. I think it was a suite of poems, and mm. I just wrote this whole uh, yeah. long-winded thing. You know, it's great. I love it, but, but I can't publish yeah, it because no I dice. already have this, this so-and-so poetry. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Oof, strict boy. page limit. <laughs> and you're like, I've only got so much paper. Yeah, I'm not made of trees. Exactly. You know, that's I. I have this very vivid memory of the first one that we sent because I, I stressed over it for like. I was like, I've got to tell this guy that we can't do because he had a really good idea, but it was just not genre fiction. Yeah, it was an idea for a radio play actually, and I was like, I really, it was a really good idea, but we can't do it. So I, I sort of, I ummed and nod and I wrote this letter three or four times, and <laughs> I actually, I called, I called my dad, and I was like, Dad, um, how do I be mean to people like this? Like I was like, <laughs> how do I even send this? And he goes, he goes, oh, look, what you got to do? What you got to do is you got to write it to yourself. Pretend that you're writing it about yourself. Okay. Oh. He's like, pretend that you're pretend that you've submitted this, and you are writing a letter to yourself to tell yourself that you failed this submission. And I was like, okay, so I wrote That's it. Great advice. Yeah, so I wrote it um, <laughs> as if I had submitted it. I had submitted a piece to DCM Works, mm-hmm. and I myself, as the as the creative director of DCM Works, have rejected myself. <laughs> I was like, David, the piece you've come up with ultimate is, rejection. Yeah, I right. I was like, I've broken. <laughs> I've broken up with me. It's harsh. Um, we're just spending some time apart. It's getting real weird, though. It's yeah. real hard. We keep okay. seeing each other everywhere. Oh, no. Every time there's a mirror. It's just it's a nightmare. <laughs> but so I did that, and it was really, it was actually really easy, because I thought about the things that I would want to hear from myself about the mm-hmm. piece. So I was like, okay, well, these are its real strengths, but at the same time, you know, it's not overwrought. I'm not saying these are its strengths, and it's the best thing I've ever read. I'm going, you know, this is what makes it a really powerful piece. Yeah. These are the elements that you should boolean and kind of focus in on and draw out breathe Mm -hmm. this other stuff you know maybe consider altering shifting moving around or whatever but then the tone kind of it found its way in really naturally where i suddenly went oh what the reason it's hard initially is because you don't really know how you should say it yeah whereas if you want to try and say it to yourself you kind of are really honest you just do it yeah you're not brutal you're not like ah you're a piece of garbage and (laughs) this is terrible you're actually a little more gentle with yourself yeah you go you know what maybe next time maybe maybe a different place Mm -hmm. And after that, it got really easy. Not easy. Still breaking people's hearts is hard, but it, <laughs> yeah. it got writing them got easy. Yeah, you know what I mean. Yeah, definitely. And that was a big, that was a massive piece of advice. That I was like, I wish I'd been able to. Do that. With so. writing them, I found it really hard to provide feedback because I felt so weird giving feedback to people that were kind of like on the same level as I was. Because in our writing cohort, I mean, I'm not. I'm not the best or anything. Mm. I just decided to do this magazine to yeah, you're not, you're not get everyone's stuff out. You're not striking with straight sevens. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. Um, so I felt like if I gave too much feedback, people would think that 
I thought I like could oh, like imp- a, I could write this better yeah, sort of thing. I like was like an so, arrogance thing. Yeah, yeah, I was so worried about that one. That wasn't my intention at all. Mm. But so I just ended up providing a little bit of feedback where I thought I could give some sort of okay. So you limited it to stuff that you felt not that you were qualified to give, but that you felt comfortable giving offering from the position. You're yeah, in. yeah. I think yeah, that's exactly. quite that's quite. I think that's quite a humble way to look at it. Um, there is a tendency, I think. To be quite hubristic when dealing with feedback for others, mm-hmm. where, um, and I've I noticed this during my time with first year subjects um, during during the writing course because um, I've nearly finished the writing hour because mm-hmm. I also do business and I do this. But one of the things that I noticed with the first year conversations that happen is that they will read a piece, but they'll make it about them when they give feedback. Mm-hmm. So it's all about what they thought of it. It's not about how good the piece is. Yeah. Um, it's about how good I thought the piece was. Yeah. And obviously it is about how good you thought the piece was, but, you know, it comes from a place of hubris where it's like, I th- I know I can write this better than you did, and this is why I think... This, you know, yeah. that's how it kind of feels. Exactly. You know what I mean? It's a exactly. very intangible, tonal thing. Yeah. Um, and the skill of giving good feedback, like, it takes years of practice. Yeah, definitely. And I'm get still... get the right balance. Yeah, and I'm still not great at it sometimes, you know, I'll... I've, I haven't made anyone cry in a long time, but, um, <laughs> but I'll just say stuff in meetings without thinking about it because you, you know you're, you're in the middle of a conversation. We'll say yeah. it, and they'll go, "That was harsh," and you're like, "I didn't." You're like, oh, oh, "I didn't, didn't mean, I didn't mean that." I'm sorry. It's um, so hard because writing is such a like it's people's babies that you're. It's it's very commenting on. It's people. very personal, so it's, mm. it's a touchy subject, definitely. It it can get. I think it depends on the team you have as well because it's really easy for us now because. Mm-hmm. The people that we work with really understand that there's a, you know, it's it's not a problem with you; it's a problem with the work. Yeah, and we exactly. have that separation, and we, we say that. There. Yeah, we say that at the start of every meeting. Um, you know, so let's let's say we sit down. Actually, this happened last week. We sat down with one of my pieces that I'm working on, and um, and they went, "Okay, Dave, this uh, <laughs> look, this criticism, it's not about you; it's about the work." And I went, yeah. "You guys hate me. I understand." <laughs> and like they were like, "Oh God, he's at it again." Uh, but we went through and it was fine because we all understood where we were sitting and then, you know, that's when the feedback gets super valuable. Yeah, definitely. Because I'm able to, you know, there was a portion of the work where uh, it, it has a female protagonist and I had accidentally, without even noticing, um, taken away her agency in one particular section. Mm-hmm. And it, yeah. you know, I'd spent, been actively, really consciously being like, okay, I've got to avoid um, sort of this, this tendency that we have to rely on these tropes that are quite sexist. Yeah, I've got to definitely. really be active. And it had just kind of slipped in during the during the natural growth yeah. process of the writing, and I hadn't noticed it. And the minute they pointed it out, I was like, "Oh my god! Oh my I god. can't <laughs> believe I did that!" Um, yeah. And then there was a bit toward the end that had some really sexual imagery that I hadn't even noticed. Oh my gosh! I like do it's that just like coincidental, often. and I was like, <laughs> "They were like, mm, maybe you should change that." And I went, "Oh my! Oh my god!" I was like, "Oh yeah! Oops. I didn't even think about that." <laughs> yeah. And but there was you know I picked up on it immediately. But the minute you have that relationship with your work, you know, receiving feedback becomes really easy. Yeah, definitely. But I, I don't, I don't know if you can be taught that so much as you have to learn it through getting your heart broken repeatedly. Yeah, I think that's those it. Mm-hmm. So definitely. what I'm saying is that if, <laughs> what I'm saying is that you and I spend our days breaking people's hearts, breaking people's I guess for fun, <laughs> and for fun and profit, we but, might be oh, awful people. That's awful. Yeah, it's not a good that's, way to put I'm it. I'm not putting that on the business card. <laughs> yeah. Not yet, anyway. Unless, like, unless that's that's they're like oh, these these guys are assholes. This is all they do all day. Um, but yeah, I mean that's that's a weird. I've not thought of it like that, but I guess we technically do. 
technically. And that's just fine. Because, <laughs> you know, sometimes you do find good works, and that's the joy of it. Yeah, exactly. So with, I guess, for you, what what's, what's coming next? So obviously, um... You know, is are you now eating two minute noodles and cannot ever afford to do anything ever again, or are we? You know, what's what's issue two going to feel like? Have you got that far yet? Um, I've received a couple of submissions, like quite a few, but sorry. <laughs> are, we, are you dying? Yeah, okay. No, that's fine. That happens a lot. Um, I'll start again. It's fine. You can choke a little more if you want. There's, there's still time. It's fine. I've gotten a lot of submissions so far, um, but not enough to kind of form what the next issue is going to feel like. Like a shape, yeah. Yeah, Yeah, I know what you mean, yeah. Um, I kind of want the tone to stay the same, so Mm -hmm. kind of offbeat, a bit for every... something for everyone, that sort of thing. I don't want one strict um, shape of... Yeah, Yeah. beeline of what I'm going to publish and what I'm not going to publish. I like pieces that kind of take me off guard and... I had noticed that as sort of a theme, is that there tends to be... um, yeah, particularly the prose that's that's in there. It's mm-hmm. very unsettling. Very um, unsettling. But not One in a pig. kind of not not in a sort of um I'm looking at uh, we have a, we have walking dead ears um up there which caught my <laughs> eye when I was thinking about this. Um one of the things that it, it isn't is it isn't sort of grot- like it's not grotesquely off-putting. It's it's a scent you get. I don't know what it is about that story in particular. Yeah. The whole time you're like something's up. This is real weird. <laughs> you don't know what it is. And, and even when it starts, even from like the first line, you're like, mm, it's just mm. got that tone. You're like, mm, something's wrong. Something's wrong. Something's this gonna not happen. Gonna end well. There's someone's getting at by someone else. People yeah. are getting eaten. Something's gonna happen. <laughs> so, you know. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And it's that. That to me, from from line one, I was like, oh, no. it's so foreboding. <laughs> yeah, and you get this like it just gets under your skin a little bit. And yeah. Even the even the you know the anxiety one, it gets a little bit. It's a little bit inside your head, and you get very yeah. unsettled. So I think if that is sort of what you're going for, then um, I'm going to have to, like... Because I, I read it in one sitting, which was foolish. Very foolish. I got, I got to the end, <laughs> I was like, I need, to go, I need to go lie down. Um, <laughs> sit in a corner for like, a while. I'm, I'm very stressed now. I've got to go, <laughs> gotta go lie down, and I'm never driving in the country again. Um, <laughs> yeah. But, yeah, I mean, I'm going to have to, like, take it take it like one piece at a time. Yeah. In issue two and read them. I read um, Long Pig which mm. is Corey O'Neill's story. I read it late at night, right before bed, oh. and I was awake for a very, very long oh, time. Oh, that's so bad. <laughs> yeah, it was oh. awful. But that, while I was awake, I kind of thought, okay, is this what I want my readers to do? And then you went, yes. And then I was like, yes. yes I do. Once again, hurting people for profit. <laughs> oh, no. um, I, <laughs> I should stop saying that, because that's going to become your tagline. It's like, uh, spy and blind. Hurting people for profit. Hurting people for profit. Excellent. Um, totally oh, not no. evil at all. <laughs> But there was actually when I when I was a kid, um, I was reading Pet Cemetery by Stephen King, mm-hmm. and I refused to sleep in the same room as the book. Oh, really? So I because it was wow. so scary. Like it's a scary book. It mm-hmm. still terrifies me. <laughs> so I would every night when I because I read it before I went to bed for some reason, um, and I would I would close the book, get out of bed, put it outside the door on the landing, close the door and lock the door <laughs> like that. So I was wow. like I was like not in the same room, not in the same room. Bad vibes. And it was a little bit of that. It was a little bit of that vibe. I was like. Mm. Yeah. Mm, mm, none of this, please. Makes me too uncomfortable. Yeah. But I think definitely. if that's if yeah, I mean that's, I mean, that's it's achieving what it sets out to do. My favorite novel is Lolita by Vladimir Nabokov mm-hmm. because yeah. it is unsettling. Yes. Mm-hmm. So I kind of I like that in writing. I like when people are still thinking about it later on, and a week later, if they're still 
thinking about it and they get freaked out when they think oh about God, it. Yeah. <laughs> but not feeling. always in something like gruesome. And like, no, it's often the smaller things that, that are that are very odd. Um, yeah. We we've been looking at um uh Joseph Fink who's the bloke who does Welcome to Night Valley. He's got a new show out. And one of the descriptions he uses for this for this man who's sort of a creature, he talks about this guy having yellow fingertips, but not in the way that they're coloured yellow. Just in the way that they're yellow, they're yellow just beneath the skin, and I don't Whoa. know why. Whoa. But that descriptor is so every the, every time I tell someone that they're like, Ugh. yeah, it's uncomfortable because you, you can't really imagine it properly. It yeah. sits in that space between, you know, what it would feel like to look at, but you can't actually visualize it. Yeah, I think no, that's so why true. that's why it's so unsettling, and that's why stuff like pet cemetery is terrifying, <laughs> is because it it lets you kind of ruminate on this. Like it, it's never explicitly stated. They're not like, okay, we're gonna. We're gonna bury our kid. If anyone hasn't read Pet Cemetery, they bury their kid in the cemetery with, with the dog. And various things occur, and stuff comes back to life. It's very distressing. <laughs> but at no point does anyone in the novel say, "Oh my God, the kids come back to life." They just kind of act like it's normal. Like it's it's this weird kind of. Oh, they God. ignore the problem that you know exists, but it's just beyond your peripheral vision. It's like oh, you, you keep turning around to look at it, and you can't quite see it. Oh, that's the worst. Yeah, <laughs> it's that thing where you're like, you know, you know, when you're walking at night. Um, and you're like, oh, I feel like someone's watching me. Yeah. And you look around, and you're like, but you can't no see one's them. Here. That makes And you start worse. walking a little faster, and you start walking a little faster, and there's mm-hmm. this like animalistic thing that happens where you get a split second urge to just run. Yeah. You're like, I need to Every get time. out of here. Uh huh. And you know, you go, okay, I'm a calm, rational human being. You take a few <laughs> breaths, and you don't. But I think the best kinds of works that are unsettling hold you in that point where yeah, you are like, I need to run, I need to run, I need to run. Exactly. You're like, I don't want to run. What if that's when he attacks? You know? Yeah, that's oh the goodness. yeah. <laughs> you're like you're sitting here like you're like oh my god I my can't do it. I can't go on um I'm done tap me out <laughs> tag me out I'm done I gotta go lie down um that's that's really the tone that I guess you're going for yeah um, definitely which really comes through and it makes you sound like you really enjoy not I, I was gonna say how do people that's not, <laughs> no. not what I meant though um, I meant um you enjoy sharing that because it's really hard to do is mm-hmm. what I was trying to get at yeah. you enjoy sharing that that unique piece of well, that that unique skill set that unique yeah, stylistic that skill set that unique kind of emotion that mm. comes out of the work mm. that that kind of leaves you i mean you i mean you absolutely said it it leaves you with the feeling of that of what happened for a long time yeah and it you know you when you tell people about it you kind of you know if you think about the way that i just talked about pet cemetery it's not i didn't go oh here's the plot and here's why it's great i mm-hmm. went they do this thing, and then it makes you feel this way. Yeah, And it's the fact exactly. that you end with, it makes you feel, you know, X, Y, Z. Mm-hmm. That means that that work was really effective, and, and it achieved yeah, its goal. definitely, like, definitely. Which, which I absolutely agree that both of the, the pieces of prose in, in mm-hmm. the first issue did. So I'm, I'm keen for more, and I'm scared for more also. <laughs> Thank so you. I'll have to take... <laughs> yeah, you're like, goal. thanks, I think. Um, <laughs> excellent. So, aside, so obviously with the magazine, is there anything else you wanted to plug? So you said the blog... Um, I'll throw all that stuff in the show notes, but is there anything else that you're working on at the moment? Or um... Um, The second issue is coming out in late June, so June mm-hmm. 20th. That'll be the July cool. issue, cool. Um, and it's every three months. Every three months. Yes. And are submissions for the second issue closed? No, they're open. Okay. They're open oh. until, until? Um, the 20th of May. 20th of May, excellent. Yes. Well, I'll throw a link to all that stuff down below, so if anyone out there has anything, send it on through. So um, and yeah, I mean, is is there anything that that uh, that you any any sort of thoughts you had that um, that you wanted to to end on, or are you uh, 
Are you now just content to sort of think about how creepy um, all of those stories are? Because that's all I'm doing. <laughs> I think I'll have to reread it with yeah. a kind of new perspective. God, you have to reread it with the lights off and just... Like, oh my I've made a mistake. <laughs> Excellent. Well, thanks for coming in. It's, it's, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thanks so much for having me. Um, it's oh, our pleasure. Um, <laughs> so anyone that wants to find out stuff, it's in the show notes. Um, and as always, um, all of our links to our other shows and all that good stuff, you can find down below. Um, we've just launched a few new Patreon rewards, so uh, you can go check those out at patreon.com slash DCMworks. We have a bunch of new t-shirts as well. whole mess of good stuff. So get amongst it, and um, we will see you guys next time. Thanks. Yeah, yeah. Look at that. Like because those three things are there, it's like it's exceptionally good. Hey, I could do it in a heartbeat and make millions, but it would feel like gouging my soul out. Yeah. Jurassic Park's a little more like DDR. If Shrek is a fairy tale creature, can he actually own land and want to kick them off? Where did that come from? You have to make a lot of shit off to make good art. Yeah. That's yeah. like that's just the truth. Like. <laughs>